0: on my sermon this morning is Christian Marriage and Worshiping God. Christian Marriage and Worshiping God. On Wednesday night, the Houston Astros won their first Major League Baseball championship in the 55-year history of the team, beating the Los Angeles Dodgers in the deciding game five. This was, as you would expect, a very exciting thing, not only for the city of Houston, but also the state of Texas, as they have, in this past year, gone through a lot with Hurricane Harvey and the devastation that that storm brought upon them. Astros shortstop Carlos Carrera had an amazing 2017 season with a batting average of .318, 24 home runs, and 85 RBIs. He continued this hot streak into the playoffs, helping his team with a 284 batting average, five home runs, and 14 RBIs, including two home runs in Game 5 of the World Series. Now he's getting a World Series ring, but let's just say that wasn't the only piece of hardware that he was going to be handing out on that night. You've dreamed of this your whole life, this feeling. Is it everything you thought it would be? It's everything and more, man. It's everything and more. It's one of the biggest steps of my life, one of the biggest accomplishments of my life. And right now I'm about to take another big step in my life. Daniela Rodriguez, you may me the happiest man in the world. Will you marry me? Will you marry me? said that there was no backup plan. That was the plan from the beginning, and it had been the plan for several months in the, in the making. He was like that sure that his team was going to win the World Series, to so go figure. But, you know, marriage is a pretty cool thing. You can't go wrong being married. Unfortunately, our society has spit in the face of marriage and has made marriage a second hand thing. It's kind of pushed it aside. Christian marriage is the union of a man and a woman joined together with God as the bond or glue holding that marriage together. So frequently we forget that the very act of marriage is an act of worship. The very action of marriage is an act of worship. This morning we are going to talk about the worship aspect of any Christian marriage and Paul's exhortation to the Corinthian Christians regarding yet another division that had arisen within their church. But before we do, let's take a moment to go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, I praise you and I thank you for the chance you've given us to worship in your name Bless me as I do my best to declare your word accurately and to the point. Allow your word to have an impact on each and every one of our lives and make it applicable to each and every one of us, including myself, as we dig into it today. In your name, amen. Oh, what happened? there? I went the wrong way originally. Uh-oh, now I'm going, oh, now not going. Go down. No. There it is. So over the past several months, we've been making our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. The overall theme, at least from my perspective, of this book was the fact that the church had a lot of problems. They had a lot of divisions or arguments that had been taking place, and Paul's trying to address them and say, hey, cut it out. And this is yet, as we're going to find out, another one of these issues. Today we're going to look at another reason for division within the church, the covering or uncovering of a woman's and thus a man's head during worship. Over the next four or five weeks, kind of depending on how, how I break down the text and making our way through the 11th chapter, first Corinthians, we're going to talk about how removing divisions from within the church, meaning arguments, conflicts, fractures, is a good way, factions um, within the church. By doing that, we as a church will be able to worship God on a, from a better perspective. So my sermon this week looks at something of an introductory example for Paul's main point which is divisions within the church hinder worship of God. That's the main point, and we're going to get to that. We're going to hint at it this week, and we're going to really get to it in the coming weeks. So, as we look at this, and again, as we look at uh, the, the relationship between a Christian husband and wife and in, in the worship of God, I'm going to make four points taken from the Scripture regarding biblical marriage and worshiping God. So, four points. Number one, there are, there is to be order Within Christian marriage, order within Christian marriage. Look at verses 2 and 3 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. Let's start with verse 2. The apostle writes, Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold firmly to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. So Paul begins with a, a piece of praise. He's commending them for their good behavior. Unfortunately, the, com- you know, the commendation is going to end very quickly. Uh, he's going to turn it around, and he's going to get back to telling them to cut it out. But at this point, he's saying, good, you did good. You're, you're doing good in thinking of me, and being devoted to me. They had reconfirmed their dedication to him through their letters to him, as well as their representative to him, saying, we are focused on you, we believe what you're saying, we believe in God, and we want to follow your teachings. But now Paul has to tell them to shape up, and to focus on God. Look at verse 3 now. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 3. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of every woman, and God is the head of Christ. This verse is clearly pointing towards an order when it comes to marriage, and and, and I'm going to emphasize very quickly, I'm going to get right to the point and tell you that this is not saying that a husband is supposed to be some uh, superior uh, individual, and the wife is inferior to him. That's not what this is saying. What this is saying is that there is order within Christianity, and there's order within marriage. It goes God, Christ, man meaning husband, woman meaning wife. Headship here, as we as we see here in this verse, has a dual meaning of subordination as well as origination. So God created man, and from man he came, came woman. So God, we came from God, man came from God, and woman came from man. Again, God taking the rib out of Adam and making Eve. God created man from a woman. In a few verses, uh, verses 8 and 9, Paul tells us that the woman was made for the sake and benefit of the man. In Genesis chapter 2, like I said, we hear about how Eve was created out of man, out of Adam's rib, in order to be a helper to Adam, to be a companion to Adam. Now the question I have is, why? Why is the wife led by the husband? Why is the the husband's, I don't want to say superior, but why is the husband supposed to be in, in kind of charge of the wife? And I think it was very simple during those times, and it should still be simple today. It was for protection, protection and provision. If you think about it, back then, you know, the, the husband had to fight off lions and bears and stuff like that. I don't normally have to fight off lions and bears once my wife's upset, and then... <laughs> Uh, and, and, but for the most part, you know, that, that's our job as husbands. Our job as the husband is to care for our wife and care for our family and to protect them. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 to 24. Wives, be subject to your own husband as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself he himself, bring the Savior Of the body, he himself. That's my my problem. He himself being the savior of the body, being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be the be to their husbands in everything. Now, the Greek word used here for "subject" has the meaning of being subordinate, to obey, to yield to one's authority. Has a, a military perspective is really where the meaning of this word came from, of of following orders. This is not, again, this is not saying that the wife is to be the slave of a husband by no means, but that the wife needs to be submissive towards her husband so that he can protect and care for her. That's the point. That's what Paul's getting at here as well as in the other um, verses. Women originate from men and wives are to be subordinate to their husbands for the protection and and provision that comes from their husbands. 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter says something similar. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 1 to 7 in the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands, and then he gives us a different reason why. He says so that even if any of them are disobedient, meaning any of the husbands are disobedient to the word, meaning the Bible, they may not, they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe in your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adjournment must not be merely external um, bear umbraiding the hair. The wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, meaning, you know, not just what you look like, but let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable quality of gentle and quiet of, of, of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way in former times the holy women also hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling Him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Again, that that verse 7 especially, the husband is there to protect the wife. Because again, naturally men are stronger than women. It's not saying nothing. It's just the way it is. We as husbands are supposed to protect our wives. That's the point. So, this order or ranking again does not mean that a wife is inferior or that women are inferior to men and that a wife is inferior to their husband. This is seen very clearly in Paul's statement God is the head of Christ. And I think this is a very true point here. By saying God is the head of Christ, not saying that Christ and God, like God is not equal to Christ, because we know that they are. I mean, Jesus and God are one. You know, they're they're not separated. You can't say that Jesus is less than God. In the same way, you can't say that a woman is less than man. It's just the order of things. There is to be order within Christian marriage. That's the first point Number two now. So we have there is to be order in Christian marriage. Now, there is to be holiness within Christian marriage. Holiness within Christian marriage. Let's go ahead and read through verses 4 to 10 of 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 11, looking first at verse 4 down to verse 6. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. For she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, Let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off, her head, uh, to have her hair um, cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. So, this is getting to the point here that really what Paul's really getting at here. This is really Paul's, uh, what he's trying to point out to the church. It doesn't really make sense to us because, you know, we don't really teach to cover our heads or not cover our heads. I mean, that's just not the way we do it now, but back then it was a big deal. What Paul is saying is that men are to worship God with their head covered, or uncovered, possibly meaning without long hair, and women are to worship God with their head covered. So men uncovered, women uncovered, and again, the possibility here is that Paul is saying women are to have long hair, men are to have short hair. It also could involve, and it probably did involve, especially for the women, some sort of a head covering. In, from a, in the Jewish culture as well as in the Greek culture, when a woman would come in to worship, they would cover the head with piece of cloth. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, and then chapter 10, verse 23, Paul quotes a phrase that the Corinthians had been using quite liberally, saying that they had freedom. And that phrase in the New American Standard is, everything is lawful. And that phrase in the NIV is, I have the right to do anything. I believe this is the problem. It has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not you're putting something on your head or not. It has everything to do about doing what you think is right even when it might not. You know, because of this process, many within the Corinthian church lived a life of liberty when it came to the gray area within the Christian faith. Again, there's certain things you're allowed to do, certain things you're not allowed to do, then those question marks in the middle. And, and they're debatable. And, and Paul's already pointed out there ain't nothing wrong with eating food that was sacrificed to an idol. There's nothing wrong with that. And I believe this is where he's going to get at him here. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13, in regards to food. He says, Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. And then, again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 to 33, Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. Now, Paul's issue was not in regards to wearing or not wearing head coverings. Paul, but causing his issue was causing another Christian to stumble because you have the right to not wear a head covering. That's what I believe was taking place within the church. There is some debate that, that the Greek women didn't want to wear head coverings, but the Jewish women did, and now there's a fight. The other thought is, it just across the board, doesn't matter what nationality you was, some of them are saying, I don't have to, some of them are saying, I do. And as a result, they're fighting, they're arguing. They're causing people to stumble in their faith, just like the food before, just like every other issue we've talked about to this point. They're causing their fellow church members, not even just Christians, these are people within their community of of Christians, to stumble in their walk with God. And that's something Paul's saying, "Uh uh-uh, don't do that. The Greek word used in verses 4 to to 6 for disgraces comes from the verb katiskuno, kuno, which means to dishonor, to put to shame, to make ashamed. Christians need to make it their goal to live a godly life and not one that brings about shame upon themselves. Bottom line. Now let's look at verse ten to no, seven to ten. Verses seven to ten. So the apostle continues. He says, For a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman, but woman but woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man has not created the woman. Okay, let me try this again. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but the woman for the man's sake. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. So the man, meaning the husband, receives glory from God, and then the woman, the wife, receives glory from the man, God's glory through the man. That's kind of what Paul's getting at here. In verse 10, the idea is that the heavenly beings from above are looking down upon us. And if these beings are looking down upon us, what are they seeing? is really what he's getting at. Now here's the application for all of this. What I want to pull out for married couples as well as those who are not married is that Christians are called to live a life of holiness. We are called to live and strive towards holy living. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 14 to 16 uh, Peter writes, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. Meaning, don't be conformed to the behaviors you participated in before you were saved. And then verse 15, But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Christians need to strive towards godly and holy living. The question is how. How do Christians strive To live a godly and holy life. And it's the same thing every time we do this. By doing three things, I call them the big three. Number one, praying. You need to talk to God. Don't. I mean, I'm telling you right now, my wife and I wouldn't be married now if I never talked to her. It's just the way it works. You need to communicate. If you're not communicating in a relationship, you're not having a proper relationship. The same is true of God. We need to communicate with God. We need to pray to Him. Second, we need to gain an intimate knowledge of the Word of God, meaning the Bible. And I like to say it's more than just listening to me preach or even hearing it. It's, it. it's hearing the Word, reading the Word, studying the Word, meaning asking the questions you need to ask. What does it say? What does it mean? How does it apply to me? Meditating on the Word and memorizing the Word of God. Then finally, the bottom line, you need to go to church. If that's it. You have to. You have to be involved in a local group of believers. It just does not work if you're not. And it's very much to the point, but it's true. For those of us who are married, who are planning on getting married, or living a married life of holiness, means keeping the marriage bed holy, participating in sexual relations only with the person you are married to. And that we see that very clearly in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. The bottom line, the bottom line in all of this, the more you are in the presence of God, the closer you will be to holiness. That's just it. And, and John tells us this beautifully in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 down to 10. This is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we stay, If we say that we have fellowship with Him, And yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Meaning if we're walking in the light, it's very simple. Right? you ever go to a stage play, imagine going to see like a play on the stage, right? And they have the spotlight, but the spotlight's never on the main character. The spotlight's never on the people talking. You would have a hard time seeing the play. It's the same as true with us as Christians. We need to stay in the spotlight of God. Don't run off over there or out of the way. Don't run off into the darkness. That's not going to help you any. You need to stay in the spotlight of God. Continuing in John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Bottom line is we're sinful. And it's beautiful. Verse 9 tells us very clearly that if we tell Him that, He will forgive us of our sins. Christians, both married and not need to walk in the light of God. We need to follow His example. And by doing so, we will be in holiness. So number one, there's order within Christian marriage. Number two, there is to be holiness within Christian marriage. And now number three, there is to be equality within Christian marriage. Like I said, just because there might be an order where the husband comes above the wife doesn't mean that the two aren't equal still. Look at verses 11 and 12. Let's read verse 11 first of all here. Verse 11, and here's the most beautiful word I love. But In Greek, conjunctions come up so frequently. And verse 11 begins, However... So Paul I had just said all this great stuff, but now he's saying, However... Wait a second. I need to tell you something different. Verse 11 again. However, in the Lord neither is woman independent of man nor is man independent of woman. While there is a hierarchy within Christian marriage, the husband is above the wife, this does not mean that the wife is inferior to her husband by any means. The Greek word used here for independent in the New American Standard comes from the adverb choris, which has the meaning of separate or apart, or really what I think the best way to understand it is without. When used with the negative particle, oit, meaning neither or not, this phrase is probably better translated this way. This is the um, Dan Bible translation of the New Testament or something like that right here. So, from God's perspective, this is me interpreting verse 11. From God's perspective, the woman or wife is not without the man or husband, and the man or husband is not without the woman or wife. They are together, they are equal, they are one. Paul's evidence of this is the natural way that man is reproduced, and we see that in verse 12. Look at verse 12 with me now. For as the woman originates from the man, meaning the rib was taken out of Adam and Eve was created, so also a man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. While Eve came from Adam, Every other man that followed Eve and Adam came from their mother, came from a woman, through birth. There is to be equality within a Christian marriage. Genesis chapter 2, verse 22 to 25. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. And here's the key. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Men and women were meant to live lives of mutual dependence upon the other. I mean, imagine if you were living in marriage and you weren't dependent on the person you were living with. I mean, if, she, if, if he or she was replaceable. I mean, my wife is not replaceable. I, she says if she died, would I get remarried and she says something about a 21-year-old girl. I'm like, I don't, know. I don't think so. I don't know. That's what she said the other day. I'm just saying. And it ain't going to happen, is the point. Because I can't envision life without her. I'm dependent upon my wife. That's just the way marriage is. That's the way it should be. Husbands are not to rule over their wives or families in an authoritative way, but are called to love their wives and their families. Wives are to allow for the guidance, authority, protection, and provision of their husbands out of respect for them. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 33, we read the beginning of that beautiful passage on marriage, now we're going to read the end of it, nevertheless, each individual, meaning each man among you, is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her her husband. Husbands are to love their wives like Christ loved the church, and wives are to respect their husbands. This is done out of a mutual love and care for the other person. If if you don't have love and care for the other person, it's not going to work, is the point. So, there is to be order within Christian marriage. There is to be holiness within Christian marriage. There is to be equality within Christian marriage. And now, there is to be godly worship within Christian marriage and the Christian church. This is more or less a transitional point, is what I'm calling it. It it has ramifications for my my sermon this morning, but this is also pointing towards my next couple of sermons as well, this fourth point here. Let's look at chapter 11, uh, verse 13 to 16, starting with verse 13 to 15 here. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him but if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for for her hair is given to her for a covering. Again, those were questions too, by the way. You know there is a distinction. There is a very distinct difference between a man and a woman, and this is very true. And again, our, our society not saying it is anymore. But man cannot just decide they no longer want to be a man. That I want to now be a woman. It just doesn't work that way. God created you the way you are. That's just the way, the natural way of creation makes this so. No matter what our society tells us, Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 23, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Meaning, God created man in His image, and God created all the world around us. Someone who has never even heard about Jesus still doesn't have an excuse, because God is clearly visible through creation. Verse 21, For even though they knew God, They did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorrupt God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. My point in telling you this is that creation itself points to the relationship between the husband and wife. In the relationship between men and women. And, and, and like I said, as much as our society might tell us that we need to identify, you know, people are allowed to identify how they wish, God doesn't agree with them, is my point. Now look at verse 16, and let's get to the point of, of this little section. Again, this is really the, the, the springboard to future sermons here. Verse 16, "...but if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor have the churches of God." Paul's point, as I stated a little bit earlier, was that this issue, the issue was not the wearing or not wearing of head coverings, it was the issue of causing a stumbling block, of of being contentious, of causing trouble. The Greek word used here for contentious comes from the adverb um, philomakos, philomakos, which means fond of strife. Someone who likes to stir up trouble and arguments. you ever know those people? They're around. They're a pain in the neck sometimes. And and these are just individuals who want to stir up trouble. That's what he's calling the people who are stirring up trouble within the Corinthian church. The New Living Translation translates verse 16 uh, in this way. I thought it was kind of an easier way to understand it. But if anyone wants to argue about this, I simply say that we have no other custom than this. And neither do God's other churches. Now, I have a couple examples of this. The first example, so Tab and I lived in Japan when she was in the Navy. In Japan, you drive on the left side of the road, which I call the wrong side of the road, because I drive on the right side of the road. When I first got there, I tried to drive on the right side of the road in Japan. It didn't work out very well for me, because cars were bearing down on me, because I was going on the wrong side of the road. You what I'm saying? You know, it just doesn't work that way. You don't get to choose which way you drive in Japan or in the United States. I can't decide that I want to drive down the right side of the road in Japan when, you know, the cars are coming in that direction. I need to go with the flow. I need to go with traffic. Just because I want to drive on a particular side of the road doesn't mean that the people are going to go with me. They're all going one direction. I'm the only one going against the grain. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 14. The beginning of strife is like letting out water, so abandon the quarrel, before it breaks out, and then Proverbs 28, verse 25, an arrogant man stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. Many within the Corinthian church wanted to go against the grain. Now, when I wrote that phrase, I'm like, what in the world does that mean? You ever really tried to understand what against the grain means? You say it all the time, but I don't know what it means. And, and there, are, there is some debate, but for the most part, if you've ever looked at a piece of wood and you're working on something, you want to sand something down nice and smooth, it's better to go with the grain of the wood. You know, you can try to go against the grain, you're probably mess up the wood. But if you go with the grain, it's a smoother finish, a more fine finish. And that's really what Paul's point here is. As Christians, we can fight against the flow of the way things are going, even though maybe our opinion is slightly okay. Again, I, whether if you came in next week with something covering your head, I'm not going to tell you not to. None of us do it. It might look a little odd. But it's Okay. With that in mind, in the church in Corinth, these women were fighting over these, not only the women, the men too, but they were arguing over whether it was okay or not. And the argument is not acceptable. That's what Paul's saying. That's Paul's point in all of this. Listen to Romans chapter 12, verse 14 to 21, and I'm, I'm approaching the end of my sermon. Blessed those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be we have the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written vengeance is mine I will repay says the Lord. But if if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do uh, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The point of all of this, what the point, what, okay, let me try this again. What is the point of a Christian going against the grain within the church? What is the point of doing so? All you are doing is stirring up an argument, stirring up arguments and disagreements, and causing fights. That's all that's happening. Sometimes it's better to just go with the flow and keep your mouth shut. And I've learned that. I mean, Tab and I have learned that just being in ministry. Sometimes it's better just to keep your mouth shut and do what you got to do. I mean, it's not always what you want to do, but sometimes it's the best and it's what God wants you to do. Stirring up fights and arguments hinder the worship of the Corinthian Christians It hindered their worship. Which is what Paul's going to transition to in the coming weeks, and what well, the coming verses and I'm going to transition to in the coming weeks. Let me close up. Are you prepared to worship God? This is the question that we're going to address in the coming weeks as we talk about the Lord's Supper and, and proper worship. The preparation of a, a San Antonio IHOP, IHOP, the restaurant, employed was something that the burglar did not take into consideration when he tried to rob the place. On the morning of Thursday, October 12th of this year, Elijah Arnold was at work early to open the restaurant when he heard someone messing with the cash register. Upon realizing that someone was trying to rob the store, Elijah jumped into action using the skills that he was prepared with, the skills that he, that he gained by becoming a third-degree black belt. Let's just say, the, uh, like I said, the, uh, the intruder... Uh, was not prepared um, for what he had coming to him. Elijah subdued the man until the police arrived. The man begged Arnold, again, Elijah Arnold, to let him go with the money, telling him that he needed it. And Elijah, uh, when he heard this, he, he felt compassion for the guy. Like, of course, he didn't let him go. This was something that Elijah Arnold could relate to. Arnold worked at IHAP in the past until a drug addiction sent him into a downhill spiral which for, which found him homeless for four years. After cleaning himself up, he was able to get get his job back only two weeks before the attempted robbery, which during that attempted robbery, he was hit in the face with a crowbar, which was the only, only wound he faced. This is what he said. That was my money in the register. It was my manager's money in the register. It was my IHOP's money in the register. I'm not going to let anybody take it. So being prepared is important. That's kind of my point. If Elijah Arnold was not prepared with his karate abilities, the IHOP restaurant in San Antonio, Texas would have been robbed. Being prepared for God is even more important. Are you prepared to worship God? Christians need to be ready to worship God and able to worship God with a pure heart. Over the next few weeks, it is my prayer that we as a group will learn how to be ready to worship God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Let me close us in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, I praise you and I thank you now for the change you've given us to gather in your name and to worship you. I ask that you bless us now, whether we're married or not, and allow us to live lives uh, of, of order with remembering who's in charge, meaning you above all of us, lives of holiness and, and living marriages where we have equal, equal love for each other. And Lord, allow us to worship you the way you call us to worship you. Help us learn in the coming weeks how to be prepared to worship you and how to be ready to worship you and to be able to come to the Lord's table, the table of the Lord's Supper, essentially meaning worship in a way that is acceptable in your eyes. So Lord, now I praise you and I thank you for the chance you've given us together in your name. I ask that you allow us to remember the sacrifice Jesus made for us, no matter what we have going on in our lives. Allow us to put you first and foremost and allow us to know that you're in charge. And that through you, everything will be okay. In your wonderful name, amen.